woman penis is what we we nicknamed it and it was funny i remember ordering it online on amazon or something and so it it took forever to get there and everyone knew it was coming though because i was so excited i mean my whole entire unit knew it was coming In this episode, Dan and I share a phone call with Jessica Harris, a former retired combat medic in the National Guard who deployed to Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. We also get into the topics of business and organizations post-military and how both of those influenced her decision to open up her own company, benefiting canine dogs and American-made dog treats, serving a much greater purpose. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Biggest question for you. Yeah. Did you go pee? Yes. Do you have a drink in your hand? So I was going to get one. You got to go get <laughs> Should one. Should I go get one? Go grab a drink. <laughs> we can wait. Okay, hold on. There'll right. be one second. All right. Much better. You were good. You kind of set the tone because Dan was like, well, I should probably just go grab some refills then just in case. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so I want to get started. Uh, basically, I just want an introduction to who you are, your story, why you first decided to enlist, what made you want to get into the combat medic role? Um, yeah. So I enlisted in the Washington National Guard uh, my senior year of high school. Um, so in 1995 and I was just going to do kind of the traditional weekend warrior mm-hmm. thing with the national guard, go to college. Um, I wanted to, uh, go to medical school. Um, I had this grand plan that I was going to be a cardiac surgeon that did not work out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so I was just, I was going to go to medical school and, uh, you know, I was going to have the military pay for it. And just do, you know, a six-year contract with the guard. And then I ended up um, liking the military, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a few years. The first few years, I don't think you really like it. Um, but I, I stuck it out and really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, and I, I thrived at what I was doing. Um, and so I was a medic the entire time I was in. And... Um, I ended up uh, serving in an active status for about the last nine years of my career. Um, so I worked for our state's counter drug task force and did k- kind of some odd and end type jobs there. Um, for the most part, I ran our state's uh, drug testing program for both the Army and the Air National Guard. Okay. Um, and And that was cool. I was able to do a lot of I think have a positive impact, um, on things and kind of change some state policies and different things that, that we had. Um, but I also kind of got to do some fun things while I was there for a few years. Um, I taught, uh, tactical trauma medicine to law enforcement agencies, um, alongside a lot of our, uh, special forces medics. Mm -hmm. So we would, um, train up the, uh, border patrol, we'd go to the southern and northern border and do classes, um, just local law enforcement agencies. Um, so, so just, you know, trauma medicine type courses that they don't get. 
And then um, in the summer months, I would support the DEA um, and our, our local law enforcement agencies during marijuana eradication. Gotcha. So I would go out as medical support, um, help pull marijuana grows and, you know, have really? fun that way. But, <laughs> um, but now it's legal in Washington. Yeah. So our, our business kind of went away. <laughs> <laughs> did you used to keep any and like pocket some of it for yourself? No, I did not. Oh, for no, no way. Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> did, so did, and you didn't come from a military family or background, did you? No, no, not at all. Um, my grandfather, I mean, my step grandfather, technically he served in the army, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't something that was talked about growing up. Um, in fact, it wasn't even probably until high school that I maybe knew. Um, so yeah, zero military uh, background in my family. Interesting. So um, yeah. what was, I guess, what was the driving force to join the military? Was it just knowing about the, uh, um, the programs that they have for getting training and take additional schooling so that you can get like certified and become a doctor or become a PA, that type of thing? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, it was something I never thought about. And so, Oddly enough, when I was thinking about it, I actually wanted to join the Marine Corps because well, that's what everyone wants to do kind of <laughs> at first. Um, I think that was, still, was that around the time too that like G.I. Jane came out and like that movie? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're calling yeah. it I'm sure. So you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just totally saying that there was probably like a, a large influx of women wanting to join the Marine Corps at that time just because yeah. the movie came out. Because you think that's what you're going to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> um, but I still wanted to go into some type of medical field. And then that's when I was told, well, you would have to join the Navy. I'm like, well, nobody wants to join the Navy. So <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. Um, but yeah, it was something I never thought about. And, um, it's, it's kind of weird uh, or funny how it even happened. So there was a recruiter's aide at my high school and, you know, just standing there talking to people. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of cute, I remember. And all the girls were like, oh, he's so cute. We should go talk to him. And I was like, whatever, I'll go talk to him, whatever. Next thing there I know, go. I have a stack of pamphlets and I'm <laughs> talking to my mom about joining the National Guard. <laughs> She's like, what? And uh, so, but like kind of really once I started looking over things and I'm like, it's just one weekend a month two weeks in the summer, like how hard can it be? Um, and uh, she really made me pause and think about this decision. And I did look at some other um, branches, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, but um, she almost wasn't going to sign for me because I was 17. I didn't um, turn 18 until after I graduated high school. Yeah. And um so no, she was pretty hesitant about it. And I was like, well, we can do this now or I'll just do it when I turn 18, you know, after I graduate. Um, so, uh, so after a lot of thought and discussion back and forth on why I wanted to do it, um, that's, that's the route I, I chose. And yeah, you know, originally the National Guard seemed like a really great fit. Um, you know, I was like, I can kind of do this thing part-time, get money for college, like, you know, and that was the mid nineties where, um, I mean, the Gulf war had just ended. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe there was like a little sense of 
patriotism, but I think sometimes when you're 17 and 18, especially pre 9-11, that's not why a lot of people were joining necessarily. Yeah. Yep. Um, but that definitely changes, you know, after you are in for a while. Um, and then of course, post 9-11, um, the whole reason of why you are serving in the military is you realize it's much bigger than getting money for college mm -hmm. or, you know, anything like that. So, so were you in the guard then when nine 11 happened? Was this before your active duty time? Yeah, I was still, yeah. So I was in the guard. I didn't go active with the guard until, um, gosh, when was that? 2000 and about 2006. So yeah. And then from, from then until about the time I retired in 2015. I, you know, cause I, I haven't talked to very many people that were in, especially, I don't think I've talked to a single person who was in the guard when 9-11 happened. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of intrigued to know kind of from an insider's perspective, like what was the message being shared in the guard? Like what were people doing? Cause obviously, you know, when you're active duty and you know, there's a war going on, like you just know you're gearing up. You're like, this is going to happen. I'm going to get deployed at some point. But yep. in the guard, I imagine it's maybe a little bit different conversation. Yeah, so it was, especially early on. So um, so when 9-11 happened, so I mean, I got a phone call that night from my unit. Um, so I think a lot of that, you know, kind of same stuff that happens on active duty, you know, right away. But then, you know, we're not the first ones that are going to be deploying. Mm -hmm. So it was more so, you know, accountability, just, you know, have your shit ready, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. And then, and then it was like, wow, this is kind of real. Like, mm -hmm. what the hell? This isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> it's not a weekend thing anymore. This is like, yeah, this is what we're training yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, this is what we try for. <laughs> <laughs> and I was still, um, I was, uh, still kind of taking college classes. I had graduated, but I was still, I was just working at a local hospital in the laboratory and taking some classes and trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. Um, and then our, so our brigade then didn't even deploy our, our brigade within Washington state didn't deploy until 2004. So that was the early earliest that, you know, anyone mm -hmm. in the guard, yeah. at least within Washington state deployed. Well, so, that's when everything like kicked really, into high gear. That's when everything really kicked off yeah. and then you had your regular rotations. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think what, correct me if, Afghanistan was 01. Yep. And then Iraq kicked off in 03. Yep. And then shit mm -hmm. really hit the fan from like four to eight. Yeah. It was a constant yeah. like increase of, you know, troop presence overseas from like probably towards the end of 2003. Well, it was steady in 2003. It was a huge influx, but then it was like pretty steady till 2004, 2005. And then you saw another spike from like 2006 mm -hmm. to 2008. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, is just because I don't know the difference, is National Guard boot camp, the same program as, I guess, traditional Army boot camp. It's all basically related. Everything is the same. Okay. Every every school you go to, yeah, everything. So, um, so are you thrown yeah, in so there with other women then? Or are you in there with mostly men? So basic training was mixed. I went to Fort Leonard when Missouri. Okay. Um, and yeah, and it was mixed. Um, so... And all, you know, all my schools, um, you know, all my medic schools and professional development courses, those are all active duty schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's an interesting thing that people like, um, cause like there's the air, air national guard and then there's the army national guard. Mm -hmm. Um, 
is kind of a weird place to be that a lot of people don't understand is like how is that connected to the regular army and it's each state well not each state i'm pretty sure all 50 states have a national guard maybe not but Mm -hmm. um yeah so all 50 states have a national guard but you you basically sign a contract to where at any given point for training for um duty um but like when duty calls a you know natural disaster or mm-hmm. a time in war or something like that like you get activated and there's i can't remember what the bill is but um like there's a i think it's the soldiers and sailors i'm trying to remember exactly uh, what it is something in act yeah sailors uh i can't we'll, we'll look it up but um yeah but there's an act basically to where um if you're in the guard it protects your position in your company. Oh, okay. So like, because at any point you could be called up to go active duty. Well, that means you're taking a time away from your company and it protects your position to where your company has to hold it. So during that entire time that you're out of school or you're at basic training or you're deployed or whatever, when you come back, then you take your position back. Mm, The company has to give it back to you. Otherwise, like, I don't know, the federal government, I guess, would come after them or something. I'm not yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, it's it's a law, and um, a lot of companies, or not a lot, but I I do know of some companies that will match a service member's salary because a lot of, you know, the guard is a weird mix of people, and you know, a lot of people do join the guard. They just want to find some way to serve. They don't mm-hmm. really care about making rank or making it, you know, into a 20 year career or something. And so, I mean, a lot of the soldiers, when I was a platoon sergeant, you know, I had E4s that were like 45 and 50 years old. Like, yep. Really? Oh, yeah. On active duty. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but they had, but they had like crazy successful careers that, you know, on the outside, you know, yeah. and a lot of them are nurses and, you know, they have, two master's degrees and, you know, so it was like crazy smart people. So I think, you know, that's, that's oftentimes something that, you know, active duty always makes fun of the guard about. Um, but I think it also in a way just makes us kind of unique. I mean, you have so many people with such an array of, of skill sets and, and having that age range and different life experiences and stuff. And I mean, Sometimes there's nothing better than a, you know, a 50 year old E4 that mm-hmm. just wants to work. It's like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's do something. So I was, I, I, go ahead. Oftentimes it's actually a, a pretty good, like matching up of people is like brand new people to the guard who maybe were active duty, came to the guard or just, you know, they're young and went to basic training, came back as a private or whatever. Or maybe they had some experience so yeah. in college and so they came in as a specialist, but then they see those older people that are still like running around, crushing mm-hmm. PT tests, like looking mm-hmm. forward to serving. And then the younger people are like, oh man, you know, people are yeah. really here to work. Well, funny yeah. enough that you guys are mentioning that because I just watched a video the other day of a 59-year-old man that uh, basically re-enlisted for his third time, uh, basically to qualify for like retirement. And he needed just a couple of years and you might have seen it and they kicked yeah. him back into basic training. So he was training with like drill sergeants that are like 25 years old. <laughs> That's insane. And like basically yeah. he steps off the bus, gets his head shaved and he's telling the story <laughs> about like, you know, him going through ropes and obstacles and then the drill sergeants first seeing him and like not knowing if they should yell at him or not. Like they're so yeah. intimidated. <laughs> like what's going on? Are we being punked? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Some of after, you know, over the years, 
um, when I had been in for a while, some of the worst soldiers that we had came from active duty. Yeah, really. It's like they were, you know, they were people that they just couldn't figure it out. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they, they run their contract out and then the guard takes them and, but they're total shit bags, yeah. you know, I mean, literally some of the absolute worst people that we had, mm-hmm. uh, came out of active duty. So it was, it was just kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's funny, but, um, yeah, but I, you know, I, I think it was the right choice. You know, sometimes I regret not going active duty at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I would have enjoyed it and I would have done just fine, but, uh, just, I don't know, it just, it worked out, you know, the way it did. And if you can get a full-time gig in the national guard, it's like this kind of sweet little secret that a yeah. lot of people don't know about. And if you can find that good gig, then, I mean, you're just building your active duty years, mm-hmm. but in your home state. So, yep. well, from what it sounds like, and even uh, Jessica, when you and I met in Washington and took your photo for this upcoming book and, you know, was doing the project for Heroes and Horses with Emily, you know, I noticed like right off the bat, even with us talking, you know, over wine that you were super outgoing and, uh, you know, very tomboyish and just, you can flow, you know, with everyone around you. But what was that kind of like? Were you always like that? And especially being surrounded by, a bunch of men overseas. What was that experience kind of like for you? Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, you know, I'm an only child. And so I think for me, a a lot of it is it's like, these are my brothers and sisters. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of us, you know, you feel that way when you're in the service, but it was like, I really didn't have a lot of that growing up. Yeah. Um, and so And I can think of people too, that I looked up to as a young soldier that I did. I just looked up to them as, as a big brother and people that really took me under their wing, um, and kind of, you know, developed my own leadership style, uh, working with these guys. Um, and yeah. And so when I deployed, I deployed with the all male cavalry unit Mm -hmm. and, um, I was their senior medic. And so there were we started out with, gosh, it seems like it was so long ago. Um, I want to say we started out with around 12, maybe 14 females tops. Yeah. Um, you know, that were, uh, they called us augmentees. And um, by the time we did our pre-mobilization training um, at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, um, by the time we left there a couple months later, I think we had probably lost, you know, five or six females as well as, you know, we were losing, you know, some of the guys too, that just Mm -hmm. couldn't cut it for whatever reason. A lot of it was medical reasons or things. Um, Losing as in passed away. No, no, no. Just you're not deploying. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We don't want you. Um, And so I think by the time we, left McCoy for Iraq. Gosh, we were maybe then down to like eight or nine Mm -hmm. females. Um, and you know, it was funny because, um, so when I deployed, I was only an E6, but I was still the, the senior female for the entire, um, cavalry, uh, regiment. And 
so with a lot of the um, with the other units that had females and a lot of these guys just didn't know what to do with them mm -hmm. or how to act. Or don't hit on them. Don't yeah. look at their me, ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. Oh, um, and so, it, you know, it's funny at the beginning, I got stuck oftentimes, um, you know, trying to help them navigate, you know, just how to be around female soldiers or how to talk to them, yeah. um, you know, if they were in their squad or whatever. And so, you know, I kind of, I understood this at the beginning um, and was definitely, you know, wanting to make it easy on everyone else. But then there, there came that point of, you know, like we got to cut this off and these are your soldiers, treat them like you would anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, and cause I wasn't in charge of any of the females. I only had the medics and that, so I just had a few guys. Yeah. And um, so, but for me, I had no issue um, kind of co-mingling in that group. Um, I don't know, from, from very, very early on, I remember even when I was a private, I always just prided myself in being professional and in, in everything, in my appearance, in how I acted, you know, everything I did. Um, because I, I saw a lot of other females not act that way. And I also know how those, you know, females are talked about mm -hmm. and things like that, right or wrong, whatever. Um, but I just never wanted to kind of be in that category. And yeah, I, and even growing up, you know, tomboyish and was always kind of one of the boys. And so, yeah, I, I never really struggled in that. And, you know, and then when we uh, were in Iraq, you know, same thing is, my focus was I need these guys to completely trust me as their medic, mm -hmm. that they know that I'm competent, I can do my job, you know, I can patch them up if we need to, I can shoot someone in the face if I need to, like, you know, whatever it is. So um, that was just always my focus. And, um, you know, and and I saw again a lot of the the females that just weren't always like that, and the the relationships um, that that they had with you know some of the guys, and just I just I never wanted to to put myself into that situation. Um, right. and so and it made things so much easier on me because you know I was one of the guys, and sure I I know you know things have been said about me plenty of times behind my back. You know I'm not an idiot, um, and I know how guys are sometimes. Um, but the thing is like, none of them ever had the balls to say it to my face, you know? So, yeah. um, unlike a lot of the other females that, you know, maybe would act a certain way, um, you know, they would get disrespected mm -hmm. openly to their face. So, um, that's one thing I recently yeah. learned about is I don't think it's obviously all military, but I was, you know, obviously looking at the numbers of, you know, PTSD and then it brings up the numbers of sexual harassment. So I wonder if that's kind of a, a growing thing. Obviously you get that in every field of work, mm -hmm. but um, it's, I'm sure like, I don't think anybody would be su necessarily surprised to know this, but like in any time you have mostly men with each other, like the numbers of sexual harassment and sexual assault is probably through the roof. So, you know, like men's yeah. sports teams, mm -hmm. the military, um, especially if you're stranded out in the middle of the desert, 
And it's like, <laughs> yeah, the only female yeah. you've seen for quite a while. I can imagine that's yeah. pretty tough. Yeah, people start looking pretty good after about six months. But, <laughs> oh, so it's like know. six beers. What's that? What was that rule? There was some like rule where, you know, she's a, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like she's a five at home, but a eight when you're deployed or something. Oh, like, yeah. You know, it changes. Perspective yeah. changes. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I imagine too, if you like see your surroundings, like I just said, where it's nothing but men, then it definitely yeah. jumps up another five points. Yeah, yeah. Did and you know not to like totally get stuck on that subject or anything and it is it's crazy you know the the stories you hear in the statistics about you know stuff like that and it's mm -hmm. weird i mean in 20 years like i don't i never had any issues um i That's had good. i had two instances that could have turned into issues but i immediately squashed it um you know, they were two senior NCOs that, um, you know, they started to push their luck with me a little bit mm -hmm. and just get inappropriate. And I think, I think so many times people are just too intimidated to, to speak up and say anything. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I immediately got myself out of that situation. I went and told, you know, a couple other guys that I really trusted and they were just like, we'll just make sure you're never alone with them. And it, it, it and that was it. Um, and, you know, it was never escalated into anything more. And, yeah. That's the unfortunate thing. And like, cause I, I definitely remember I, I served from 06 to 2012. So I remember the, I guess, continual every year, it seemed like there was more and more training. There was more and more discussions about sexual harassment and sexual assault and like trying to i think it was just the army trying to figure out how to deal with this um and i don't know like obviously you know i'm a male i was in a male dominant you know field within ranger regiment um so there's very few females so i just want to know like from your perspective too was do you think there was a transition over the years was it getting better do you think it like from the stories that you you know talk to other female soldiers and things like is there anything the army did right? I guess is my question. Man, anything the army did right. Gosh. <laughs> and I guess you don't need to directly call them out, but like, yeah, do you, do you yeah, see like, right. I mean, did you ever see like a period, I guess, of, of where it seemed like it was getting better or it was definitely getting worse or um, was it kind of just the same? It never really changed. You know, I, I don't know. I can't say it really went one way or the other so much. And it's, you know, it's, I feel weird sometimes because there are, I know so many female soldiers that do have a story to tell that something happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and I'm in a couple different, you know, kind of all female, you know, military veteran leadership type, you know, groups on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And this is talked about so much. And I almost feel like that I can really never be part of the conversation because I'm like, I really don't have like anything horrible. And I see like so many of these people just talk about how horrible their time in the military was. I mean, just year after year and harassment, you know, constantly. And I'm like, really? Yeah. It, yeah. So it's so weird because I almost can't relate. And, um, you know, and I even, I remember, uh, 
about two years ago, maybe even a year and a half ago, there was a female veteran um, that I know and something we were in kind of a small group discussing. It was at a professional networking event. And she's been very open about her, um, you know, sexual assault experiences and stuff. She's very open about it. And she, it was myself and her and like, and two or three other men and who were all veterans. And just the way she brought up how horrible the military is and you know it was just all these negative things one after another and she looks at me almost like waiting for me to agree with her Mm -hmm. and you know and she's like yeah I mean and and you know you know what that's like right and I was like no (laughs) no yeah I was like no I had a pretty great 20 years actually so and there just this look on her face of like almost like I betrayed her Mm in a way of not standing with her of yes this male dominated you know misogynistic environment and i was like i mean yeah it happens but that was girl code and you broke it i know i did totally (laughs) yeah i did i think it's probably we don't really get along anyway i imagine it's (laughs) it's an individual thing and i know it's probably much harder for women but like you said i think if you can cope and you're kind of like it's almost probably a horrible analogy, but if you're a straight man and you're around a bunch of gay men, like I have some friends that are gay and they'll hit on you jokingly, but it's almost like they want to test you to see how uncomfortable you're going to get. And if you just go in with it and you're like, oh yeah, you know, like kind of vibing with it and playing along, they're like, never mind, you're boring. Like I can't, yeah. I can't flip you. This isn't fun. So yeah. I can imagine <laughs> if it's like you're a female and you're surrounded by men and you're kind of acting like one of the bros there's almost that level of like curiosity and attraction that just immediately goes to up. Oh, she's like our sister and like, we need to treat her with more respect and kind of just bring her in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, I, I did really, you know, I felt that and um, yeah. And there, there were plenty of jokes, mm-hmm. you know, made over the years along the way and stuff. But, uh, but I do think kind of deep down, they knew people did, you know, test the limits. And once they knew like, Oh, nope sergeant harris is she's kind of by the book and she's not here to play around so okay that's cool and then it was fine did you notice like a level of respect from day one from them trusting you know you obviously to be like a combat medic to these men or did was it kind of like a weird like transition where you had to gain their trust over a period of time i feel like i had to gain their trust um a little and also kind of separate myself from some of the problem females that were now attached their, to their unit. Um, Cause I know that was just, that was a big issue in the beginning. And I mean, that's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once they see that, okay, she's here to work and she's competent um, then, you know, I feel like, you know, that trust was definitely built and um you know, and once we started, especially once we got to theater and we started going out on, you know, actual missions and things um, and okay, she's, she's pulling her own weight. And cause yeah. especially out on missions, you know, I was the only female in, in my squad when we would, you know, roll outside the gate. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's nerve wracking and um, you know, especially at the beginning, cause it is, it's like, okay, well, this is, 
this is real and I, I do, I need these guys to have, you know, utmost confidence yeah. in me and my skills. Um, so, but yeah, I think once, you know, once they kind of see that, that you're not going to, you know, be causing any issues mm-hmm. then then that trust is there. That's, so, that's pretty, uh, tra- treated me like anyone else. That's pretty standard though. I mean, with your normal doctor, you know, you gotta have trust, you know, yeah. it's like, I can't, oh, yeah. can't go in and get your prostate checked. And yeah. <laughs> like, hey, doc, can you uh, use some lube this time? You know, <laughs> yeah. I got to trust no. you. Totally. And, you know, I will say this, too. I think there is just a, there's a different level of respect for medics, um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman um, there. There's just some there you are treated differently, you know, by the grunts, you know, yep. mm-hmm. Um and uh, there's, yeah, they just give you a, a little bit of a, a different level of, of respect level, I think. There, there's this uh, definitely mentality. I'm guessing it's in all branches of service, but especially in the Army, is like there are two people, three people really you want to be like the best friends with. And um, it's the supply room people, <laughs> your medics, and the people that handle your paycheck. Because (laughs) those are your three biggest problem areas that if you're on the wrong side of the other person that's on the other side of the counter (laughs) or inside, you know, whatever it is, supply facility or in the aid station, like you're screwed. Like they will easily mess with you to where it will just make your day a living hell if you're not very nice and polite. Like you will see senior NCOs kind of suck up to like E3, E4s in the supply room because they want to get through whatever their check-in or check-out process is as mm. soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to experience that? Were you nicer to certain people than others? Oh, gosh, yes, of course. Oh, you had your favorites. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Always always have to be good in with uh, supply because then because they're always getting extra stuff. Yep. And uh only only a certain percentage of people will get the extra cool stuff. So. Yeah, I know uh, when you were explaining to me in person up in uh, Washington about medics having a very dry and dark sense of humor. <laughs> and I know that you're retired now. Is there any like stories you can share on like uh, some experiences, like whether you've had to, I guess, operate out in the field on any wounded soldiers or anything that was like super kind of dark, funny to you that other people be like, what the fuck? Oh, man. Um, Yes, very inappropriate sense of humor. Um, you know, oftentimes that comes out, you know, during a class or training or something like that. Um, you know, we had, I remember uh, when I was in the aviation brigade out here, um, we were training one of the units that they were deploying. And so we were doing their medical training for them. And so, we would all take turns, you know, teaching a different class or something mm-hmm. and we're outside and then we've got, you know, there's mannequins all over the place. And, um, so whoever was teaching and all the, then you've got the class and then all the other medics are in the back. And so basically you're just trying to make the instructor, you know, laugh, do something, you know, just yeah. not be so serious about everything. Um, and so myself and one of my other really good buddies, I mean, we, of course, you just you have to pick up a mannequin and dry hump it from the back while the instructors are you know <laughs> trying to teach. So 
Yeah. Um, so that was, that was definitely, um, you know, quite common, uh, during, you know, training and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, um, but you know, like even during like a real world situation, um, you know, kind of once, once everyone knows, okay, nobody died, we're all fine. Mm -hmm. We're going to, I think we're going to be okay. Um, you know, there's just, there's, there's an insane amount of, you know, high fives and booty slaps. And, you know, I had the night that I earned my combat medic badge, um, you know, one of the guys came up to me and he was like, so excited. He's like, you earned your combat medic badge. I'm like, okay, like, are we supposed to be excited about this right now? Like <laughs> we're still on scene. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, cool. This Let's guy's talk still about injured. that later. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Like, because I earned that, you know, to me, I was like, that means there's some other people that just had a really, really shitty day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's how I was looking at it. But he was like, cool, good job. High five. I was like, okay, thanks. Like, I was still, you know, fully, you know, adrenaline was going. I'm like, this is what you're talking to me about right yeah. now. <laughs> so you and Dan would know better, obviously, being in those situations, you know, intense combat situations. But for civilians that are getting an understanding of it how are kind of steps and procedures when somebody does go down or somebody is injured? Is it kind of like pulling them to safety and then you're immediately assessing and kind of like, what are the steps that you go through if you have any examples? So, I mean, I can tell you that, I mean, you know, you can train, train, train as, as much as humanly possible. Um, but in that real world, world situation, I mean, they're all going to be so different. And, um, yeah, you know, it's something that is constantly kind of embedded in you, ingrained in you to, you know, secure the scene, make sure the scene's safe, you know, whatever. But if if you're getting shot at at all different directions, I mean, that's that's not always going to be the case. There is nowhere safe to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's it's just very different. And then, you know, too, I think what's different is. Um, you know, it's funny because like the first time I was in a actual real life situation um, and then kind of thinking about it, you know, decompressing after and thinking about what happened afterwards, um, it really clicked in my head of this is why the army makes you do the stupidest things over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's that muscle memory so that that one time that you're in that situation you know exactly what to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is, it's, you know, over the years, you're like, Oh my God, we're doing this again. Like how many times do we have to do this? And, but it is, it's, it's for that one time. Um, and yeah. And, and I would say, um, for me, you know, all the, all the training and stuff that you go through is, you know, when I was kind of in a situation, it was great. It was there, but that actual, that entire scene was like nothing I had ever, you know, had a training scenario right. in or, or anything. So it was like, this is all new. Um, and you just, you kind of figure it out as you go. Mm -hmm. There's definitely like, um, the tendency, I think the reason, especially why the military and the army ingrains in you so much about those, like, those steps to where it's second nature to where, you know, 
if somebody in the civilian world, you saw somebody injured, your first reaction would be, I want to go help them yeah. and go, you know, save them or go do whatever. But when you're in an active engagement, um, I don't know if you guys had the same phrase, but in Ranger Regiment, it was the best medicine on the battlefield is fire superiority. So, superiority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically taking care of the threat first and then dealing with casualties, um, because ultimately if you don't deal with the threat first, you're just going to create more and more casualties. So it's a completely different mindset of like, you need to ingrain that. So even if you see one of your best friends injured, um, like you got to know they're in better, they're in a better place. If you engage with the enemy and eliminate the threat, than if you run over there and try and Makes help sense. them right away. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times when you see in the movies of, Granted, this does happen, but I'm just saying a lot of times in the movies where you see somebody in an engagement, somebody gets hit. Um, Saber Private Ryan actually did a great job of this, but you see somebody hit and then somebody runs for him and then they get hit. That's very real. Um, yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. in other movies, you see somebody get hit and then they run out there and, and drag there's a shower of bullets all around them and they're dragging them out of the way. No, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> that's not what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. That's interesting. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, and the other thing that's hard, too, is. When you're the medic, um, you know, and the the era I grew up in, at least in the military, we were always taught you're a soldier first and mm -hmm. then you're a medic. Then you're, yep. you know, whatever your MOS is. But we are all soldiers. We're all gunfighters. Like, that's what you're there for. Um, and I don't know if there was a shift somewhere because when I was then in leadership positions, a lot of the younger medics that were coming up. Like they didn't have that same mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these younger soldiers that I would, that I was getting, like when we would just go back to basic soldier skills or like, I, why do we have to do this? I'm like, cause you're a soldier. This is what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, so you protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me too, what, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, as the medic, obviously you have to keep yourself safe because if a dead medic's not going to help anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I remember that being, uh, not a difficult decision, but it definitely, um, it passes through your mind mm -hmm. and, you know, and I remember, um, on this incident, when we came up to these guys that had been hit, um, you know, my, my TC, my truck commander, um, was like, wait, you have to wait. So basically he was telling me like, Stay in the Humvee, like don't get out yet. Cause yeah. we were taking, you know, like little pop shots and stuff still. So um he's like, You have to stay alive. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah, it's hard because you see these guys, you know, across the way, you know, flat on their back, you know, mm -hmm. needing help. And you're like, ah. He was like, wait. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Is there a lot of medics? Um that have found themselves actually engaging in combat or do a lot of them have to be kind of stuck in a safe spot and, and wait for it to be clear for them to, you know, proceed. Oh no. Pl yeah. Plenty have open have fire. Okay. Yeah. yeah. One of, uh, uh, Ben who was in my wedding. Okay. Groomsman, he was a medic, uh, like he was a medic for my platoon for a period of time and he would get in trouble all the time because, two things. One, when we go to the range, he would try and train harder than everybody else who is like infantry <laughs> MOS. Interesting. But then also when we were on rotation, like when we were deployed, he would always try and jump in the stack and like clear rooms and things. And <laughs> like our platoon sergeant who usually the medic is with the platoon sergeant, or if they're a senior medic, they'll be with like the 
the first sergeant or something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. like he always was getting yanked back to be like, no, you're not going in. Like you need to wait until it's clear and then you can go in. Oh, shit. Yeah, because we still want to go do the cool stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, they're like, no, that's that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Yep. <laughs> did you do some cool stuff? Um, you know, I, I don't think I did anything overly cool. Um, you know, I, I was in the the right place at the right time, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I guess in a way got to, to prove my skills. Um, you know, I, there, you know, it's crazy. I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many people out there that have, you know, way more cooler stories than I, than I do. Um, but uh, you know, I think something else that a lot of people don't realize is the majority of your time on a deployment for the vast majority of service members, mm-hmm. it's really freaking boring. Yeah. You are not, you are not out doing cool stuff, you know, day in and day out. You're doing everything you can to keep your board soldiers out of trouble, mm-hmm. um, make sure nobody gets pregnant. I mean, that's literally what you're doing half the time. So, um, and then, you know, if you're maybe, if you're lucky enough to survive and come home with one or two cool stories, then yeah, you know, that's what you got. I want to know, just cause you're on the topic of not getting people pregnant. Is there any, <laughs> is there any awkward, like funny situations you've been through when you were uh, overseas or on deployment? <laughs> I never got pregnant, so I'm very proud of that. Hey, good job. Um, yeah, yeah. You survived. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, being with a bunch of dudes in the desert for a year, um, you do you do get pretty intimate um, and, you know, just sharing sharing stories. And when mm-hmm. you're when you're in a Humvee for seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours, you know, riding, you know, through a, a shithole country. Yeah. Um, the most interesting conversations that you will ever have uh, start happening. And so, you know, for me, something that sticks out for me is how many guys bought penis pumps. What? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like they were, yeah. Were like, they all the same? The mail. I'm like, what? Where do, like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> like same color, size. They were they were tired of sharing. Yeah, that's true. You gotta clean them <laughs> yeah. out once in a while. Yeah. So this was that was the thing. I was like, okay, we're buying penis pumps, and um, yeah. And I mean, I I've heard every masturbation story. Um, I walked in on um one of the guys in my squad, I walked in on him masturbating. I was getting him for lunch. And we talk about this story all the time because it still it still cracks him up. And uh, so I had gone over to his room, we were gonna go to get some get some lunch. I knock on the door. And I swear, he said, come in. I swear, I still to this day, I'm like, you said, come in. He's like, no, I said, hold on. Oh, shit. I was like, no, <laughs> I said, you said, come in. He's like, no, I, I promise you, Jess, I said, hold on. And so what I hear is come in. And so I open the door. He's on his bed, just 
you know, spread eagle. And it, we made eye contact. <laughs> oh, briefly. that's so awkward. And it, yeah, it was one of those, like, I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. And I, I leave and now I'm standing outside the door. I can hear him cracking up laughing. I'm now a little mortified. I was like, oh my God, I did not just <laughs> walk in on that. I just wanted to go to the chow hall. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, I just wanted some lunch. And uh, so he's cracking up laughing and I was like, I'll just, I'll be in my room whenever you're done. Just come, just come get me. <laughs> so, so five minutes later we had a, we had a pretty interesting walk. It was like a over a five minute walk from where we were staying to the freaking chow hall. Yeah. So yeah. So we had. This a, is we had why they banned Sports Illustrated from being <laughs> distributed overseas. Did they really? I'm being dead serious. So there was already like a ban early on about like no pornography or something. Like no that. Playboys. But then hustlers, nothing. Yeah, I want to say around I don't know 2009, 2010, maybe. Like they then said you can't even have sports illustrated or like women in bikini posters or pictures or anything they like cut everything out you were literally stuck with like the jc penny lingerie catalog nope couldn't even have that <laughs> oh wow that sucks <laughs> then you definitely gotta use your imagination yeah it was it was uh, a dumb decision on their part because of course everybody's not going to follow that like no what, yeah how would you enforce no. that it no, was it was or, yeah. it was crazy. That's almost that like in prison where you're just hiding shit underneath your bed at that point. Oh yeah, everything was contraband. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course, um, so I bought. Um, well, we called it we called it my weenus, and apparently the army issues them now, but they weren't. They didn't issue them back when I was in. So it's just that funnel for women, so that you can stand when you pee. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. and. Because you realize real quick when you're a chick, you're like, oh, this sucks. Mm -hmm. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and because we would be, you know, we would be driving sometimes on these missions, you know, security missions. You're out on the road for eight, nine hours sometimes and, you know, drinking water. And I swear it was like I could turn into a camel and I wouldn't have to pee for 12 hours, even though I was like just drinking water and, and do a security halt. They're like, Sergeant Harris, you need to get out and go to the bathroom. I was like, no, I am not going to die in the middle of the road in Iraq with my pants down That's like, the worst way to go. while I'm squatting <laughs> okay. somewhere. That's I was like, this worst. is not happening. <laughs> so I was like, I'll hold it. I'll wait till we get to wherever we're going. A weenus. Um, but yeah, so woman penis is what we we nicknamed it. And it was funny. I remember ordering it online, I don't know, Amazon or something. And so oh, it takes shit. it took forever to get there. And everyone knew it was coming though, because I was so excited. I mean, my whole entire unit knew it was coming. <laughs> and I'd get mail, my mom, you know, I'd get a package every week. And they're like, people would see me with boxes going back to my room, like, is it your weenus? I was like, ah, nope, still not here. And uh so, I mean, the day it came in the mail, I mean, literally like half the unit was so excited for this because <laughs> go there was test just that. We want to watch massive buildup. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there, yeah, there was that. So of course it's purple and it comes in like a, a bright pink case. I'm like, Oh, that's oh, really tactical. That's real tactical. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I, and I was like, I had an extra ammo pouch or a grenade pouch or something that like, well, I don't actually have a grenade in it, so I'll just put my weenus in there. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so of course, when I got it, you know, you have to try it out. 
and you know all the guys get to just pee outside their rooms on the hesco barriers or whatever so i was like and i gotta walk all the way to the bathroom by myself in the middle of the night um and so yeah so when we got it so myself and i don't know a couple of the guys in my squad Mm -hmm. we all peed together on the hescos and because i mean you don't have to take your pants out or anything um but the first time was really difficult so the one I bought, I've upgraded since. I have a really cool one, and it's even like army green. I'm you like, still use insane. one? So I use it. Um, I've taken it kayaking. Oh, that's smart. Um, mm-hmm. Because the one I have now has um, kind of a flexible tube, so you can actually put it in a bottle, too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So the one I had in Iraq did have that. Um, you could put it in a bottle. and um, But like the (laughs) the suction piece wasn't that big and so the first time i used it so when we're pissing on the hescos together i mean overflow everywhere because you really had to like (laughs) control control it a little bit i was like oh god this isn't working (laughs) i don't know how to control this thing (laughs) how do i stop it turn it off (laughs) so a little practice a little practice and yeah it was great it was i'm telling you freaking lifesaver i don't know why every other female didn't buy one. And like I said, they are issuing them now. Um, but even like ha- having to use, um, you know, the porta johns mm-hmm. and, oh my God. Those, they get like, disgusting. You don't, you don't even want to hover over those yeah. things. And this episode is sponsored by Weenus. Go <laughs> <Yes. laughs> pictures up, women. It's kind of, so it's not a strap on. You don't strap anything. You just hold it there. You just yeah, zip you your just pants, basically hold it. Tube goes yeah. out of like the zipper and that's it. Yeah. Gotcha. And like I said, the one I just bought one over the summer, um, you know, kayaking, camping, whatever. And it's great. It's it's a huge funnel and it's got a kind of an attachment about that long. So mm-hmm. you can throw it in a bottle and it's a cool army green color. Like, I'm sure I've seen awesome. them and I was probably so confused walking by like that's ah, probably for water. I'm gonna have to get a link or something because my wife's been talking about getting like one for the longest time. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, she has to pee like all the time. That's and she's like, smart. I can't pull over all the time. And <laughs> yeah, I want to know how much money they've made. If it's like a, oh, I bet a killing. Yeah, yeah. Like camping, oh. like you said, camping oh. deployments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, canoeing. Like you said, anything outdoors, pretty much. Long road yeah. trips. Get a few Gatorade bottles and a weenus, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I mean, hell, I don't know how many times I'd go into, you know, the guy's rooms and there'd be, you know, half a dozen water bottles stacked mm-hmm. under their beds full of piss. Yeah. So like, man, you're lucky. Have you noticed, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you follow any like uh, Instagram accounts of kind of like, uh, you know, gun companies where it showcases like a lot of civilians that are uh, having like medic pouches attached to like their kit. And everything like that, like if they're at a shooting range or they're you know running drills. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's safe? Would you recommend that everybody who's like hiking, camping, shooting to carry like tourniquets and basic medical supplies with them? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Okay. Um, you know, I I think too. Um, so that was one thing that was cool when I was uh, teaching the the trauma classes to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So one thing I didn't even know is. I mean, these guys barely get a basic first aid class. Like, what? That blows my mind. Especially the border patrol guys. 
you know, and the guys on the northern border, they're out there by themselves. Oh, yeah. they, they work alone. They're usually maybe two hours away from any type of medical facility. And if they want any medical supplies, they have to buy it themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that is crazy. So what was cool is after we would teach these classes, um, we also had kits that we made for them um, that they could keep. So so that that I loved. And yeah, absolutely. You, you do see it a lot more. And I think, you know, it's brought up a lot more too when you just think of uh, like a mass shooting somewhere or, mm. you know, people getting shot totally. up in a freaking movie theater or, or something. I mean, it it's something that, you know, probably a lot of people in the medical field don't think about. I mean, I obviously I keep a, a bag in my car. I've traveled before with just a small kit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone should know how to use a tourniquet, yeah. how to stop bleeding. I mean, literally basic first aid. So know? that's a huge debate too, or tourniquets. And from your experience, because there's a lot of people that are fearful of using them because they're scared of you know, obviously amputation. Like, is there a certain time frame, a certain, I guess, uh, size of a wound of when a tourniquet is applicable, and how long you should keep it on for? So it's definitely just something you need to train with. I mean, you don't want to just, you don't want to have one and then have never used it. Yeah. Um, Make it too tight or whatever. understand how to use it. Because that's what a lot of people do. They buy all this cool stuff and they're like, oh, look at all my cool guy stuff. Yeah. And they've literally never trained with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then they're fumbling around trying to use it. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think now that we're so many years in or what, two decades into the war now, um, there's a lot less stigma around the use of tourniquets. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there definitely was early on. um, But I think now that there's just so much data that shows, you know, how helpful they've been and how many, you know, limbs they've maybe saved, or if they, if the limb wasn't saved, then the life was saved. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much more important at the end of the day. But I was just curious if that's kind of like a, an overall thing, if you apply a tourniquet, is there like a huge percentage that you're going to lose that part of your limb? No. And I, I mean, every, you know, there it's, every situation is going to be so different. I mean, sure. it's, it's hard, hard to say, hard to pinpoint that, but I would absolutely, um, I mean, I'm, I'm an advocate for them. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen them work and, but again, it's those, especially, you know, you do, it's good to have a training one because yeah. you don't, and you don't want to use one one time and then be like, oh, now I'm going to put this back in my kit. Mm. So you always have a training one and then you have that one that you're just ready to use. And then so. you dispose it and you buy a new one, I imagine, after you use it. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. buy them. Okay. Buy them online all over the place now. It's definitely yeah. one of those things like just saying like you need to train on it. Like there's anything. I don't want to tell people to do this, but there are plenty of trained medics and stuff like that that have put out youtube videos and and all kinds of things that you can look at it's not the type of thing like you have a small cut like where you know it's just some surface bleeding or something like that and you're like ah i need a tourniquet it's like no you want to like see deep arterial bleeding and know that like you have to stop red yeah yeah you have to stop the bleeding otherwise you could potentially bleed out and die so like, like that's when it's, the blood is like a bright red where you can mm-hmm. see like layers of skin down like a deep cut or a gunshot wound or you, yeah you'll notice like and this is where i say like i, I don't think we should necessarily on the podcast like yeah. give 
exact advice of what to do, mm-hmm. but definitely I think everybody should receive more advanced first aid training than what you get in your normal, um, like basic first aid and CPR class. Like yep. that's, that's the most basic thing. Um, but if you want to get something a little more advanced, like there's, I know a lot of like uh, firehouses and EMT, mm-hmm. um, houses and stuff like that will give more advanced, um, like community training. Um, I don't know how many give like tourniquet training, Yeah, but like I have one in, in my first aid kit. I have, I have several actually. Well, I imagine it'd case. be super helpful for like hunters and yeah. hikers and people that are out with wildlife. You oh know, yeah. Potentially oh, you, you get yeah. shot by another hunter or mauled by a bear or fuck anything. Mountain yeah. lion stalks you. It's kind of probably best to have that, you know, a knife, tourniquet, yep. gun if you can, if it's legal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I've, I'm, been a little removed from the medical world for a few years now and so i don't know i mean you see a lot of these um you know veterans that have branched out and they have their own companies Mm -hmm. you know doing trauma medicine and stuff like that um so so those are are great but yeah i don't know if i don't think it's really taught just kind of in basic like civilian if you were to go to just a like your neighborhood yeah, civilian yeah. medical course or whatever. So I think if you want more training like that, you're going to need to, you know, find one of these, you know, companies that mm-hmm. kind of train more in tactical medicine. Um, but, but again, I mean, it's just, to me, it makes sense with, I mean, anything can happen anywhere, you know, I mean, te- you know, Nashville Christmas day, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. any, anything, you just never know. Yeah. So that was you crazy. You, you'll need something like that. So, um, I want to get into, so when you retired, was there, I think you lightly touched on a little bit in person, but can you talk more about like organizations that you were part of when you basically got out? Was there any around when you retired? Were there ones that you, you don't need to name drop, but ones that you just didn't really feel connected to that much getting out? Um, so for me, um, yeah, so I think we, so we talked about team Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Um, I got involved with them, right. I, don't, I think I was maybe still in or kind of what, you know, right when I retired and, um, no, it was before I was still in. Um, and it's kind of when they were becoming a little more popular, um, and a little more well-known mm-hmm. and so got involved with them here locally, um, in the Washington area and, they were just kind of getting their chapter um, spun up here. And so, you know, we don't have, you know, in the Northwest, there's not really as many natural disasters as other parts of the country. Right. So the, the chapter here really at the time, and even now, you know, it's not the busiest with, you know, helping with natural disasters like tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that. So when it started up here, it kind of was more of just let's all meet up once a month, have a beer and just get to know each other. So that if you do have to work together, you know, um, at least, you know, who you're working with. And so um, the only thing I actually ever ended up doing um, with them is I volunteered to because they ended up doing a lot of more community based projects here. Yeah. Um, And so I helped a. Um, a handful of us helped a uh, double amputee and his wife um, move into a new home. Okay. So you know, it was like community stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but they love having medics that volunteer with them, you know, especially for a lot of the natural disasters and things. 
um, and or you know people veterans that have some type of you know specialized skill set. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved to North Carolina, I was like, oh, perfect! I'll volunteer with them down here. The chapter, or not really a chapter. So they're set up like FEMA in regions. Okay. Um, so the region, the Southeast region or the Atlantic region, it's so massive. Um, and, you know, I had just started a new job, but it was like, I swear every other week I was getting an alert for a flood somewhere or a tornado somewhere. I mean, yeah, they're constantly doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, but it would be like four or five hours away from where I was. And so, um, yeah, I just, I was never able to really do anything with them when I was down there. Can you, so some people, um, like for me, I, I was oblivious to what Team Rubicon was initially. And I honestly, I think the first time I heard Team Rubicon, I instantly thought it was just a bunch of Jeep rock crawling, like <laughs> veterans or something like that. Like that's what I associated with right away. Take our Jeep. Um, so you kind of t- yeah. touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more like what is Team Rubicon? And and I don't know if you know the backstory of how it started, but you know, a little bit more about what that, what they do. Yeah, so it was started by a couple of Marines after the earthquake in Haiti. Um, and yeah, I mean, just quick, just quick description is, you know, oftentimes they're the first ones in um, hell, even before FEMA hits the ground anywhere. So, um, and it is, it's just, it's full of veterans. And, you know, I think other people can volunteer, obviously. Um, but it's, it's just another outlet for the veteran community to continue to serve mm-hmm. um, and give back to their community. And so, yeah, so natural disasters and they're global though now. I mean, they've been global for really? quite a while. I mean, they're, yeah. yeah, they're constantly doing stuff. I get alerts on my phone. I mean, probably once a month, of, mm-hmm. you know, volunteer to do this or whatever. So, and do they like, so when a natural disaster, like in Haiti, for instance, did happen, um, obviously when they spin up and try and, you know, recruit people to, to go and help in these natural disaster areas, do they cover basically everything? Do they, you know, get you out there, cover for your room and board, which I know in a natural disaster could literally mean a tent and an MRE, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they cover all of your, all of your expenses to get out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That organization, I like, I would love to like, obviously learn more and be more connected to it because, you know, when we started our company and everything, I think what Bo was getting at with like some of these organizations that do do well connecting to veterans, um, you know, provide a purpose and things and and definitely that service to community and to those less fortunate and that are struggling mm-hmm. from a natural disaster, or whatever, like that is so in tune with exactly what, you know, veterans for probably the most part had a calling and joining the military for. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah. it's an awesome organization. Uh, just from the outsider's perspective, it seems like such an awesome organization. So it's, mm-hmm. it's great to hear that, um, you know, you've had a good experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Overall. And, you know, like I said, I've, you know, I've been involved in different organizations more so the last few years, but I keep a, you know, I, I keep a close distance to them and um, you know, if there's ever anything, that fits my wheelhouse that that I can help but their whole the system for volunteering is really quite easy you know you set up your online profile um, you get to know kind of your local leaders within your region Mm -hmm. Um, and 
you know, you upload if you have any certificates, like if you're an EMT or anything like that. Um, and then there's, um, you know, just like the military, there's uh, required online training. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like your incident command type online courses and just a lot of basic stuff like that. So, and then kind of once you're in and your skill set is matched up, then, and you sign up for alerts, like I said, um, you just get a text alert when something is going on in your region mm -hmm. and it'll, sh it'll list dates. Usually there's a couple blocks of dates, um, where, you know, they'll need people for a week or two weeks. Um, and you just sign up and yeah, it's that's really cool. Seamless. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obviously like Dan said, you know, I think the main important topic that we get into, even with every podcast and, you know, a major reason for this book is obviously to share these stories, but to connect veterans to the right organizations that actually are benefiting them. Because I'm sure like, you know, even getting out, there's a lot of organizations I think that are out there that kind of mimic one another. Um, and I think right now it's kind of like this financial thing where it's like, you know, we'll throw money, we'll buy you a new truck, we'll buy you a new house, or, you know, here's a couple thousand dollars a month. But I feel like that never really changes the situation. And so it's kind of nice to hear about organizations that are actually lending the proper hand or doing events or, you know, just being a, a big cause for these veterans. Yeah. And, you know, what was neat about it, the um, the region here when they started, when I first got involved, um, you know, like I said, we weren't we weren't responding to any disasters or anything, but mm -hmm. it just became more of um, that camar camaraderie again with fellow veterans. Um and yeah, going out, grabbing dinner, grabbing a beer and just getting to know each other. And, you know, mm -hmm. and it wasn't kind of your, um, you know, people would talk and get into some of those intimate conversations and things um, once you start feeling comfortable, but it wasn't like that typical, um, you know, you should, you know, kind of go see a counselor or you should go do this or whatever. It was just like, it's that person that, you know, you can talk with and just kind of, you know, have a normal conversation and yeah. get some things off your chest. And so yeah. it was really good. And so, and then when you got out, did you immediately move back to Washington or did you move to North Carolina? Because I know you said you spent a little bit of time here on the Southeast. Yeah. So when I, so I officially retired in 2015, April of 2015, but I, transitioned off of um, active duty with the counter drug in September of 2014. Okay. So I still had six months um, until I officially retired when I moved out to North Carolina. So I was coming off of orders with counter drug. And I was so I was at a crossroads of either staying in the military. Mm -hmm. um, and because uh, I was up for promotion to E8. Um, you know, I probably would have been a couple more years. Um, and so I was like, okay, I can try to ride this out. I can try to ride my counter drug gig out, but I was coming up on 20 years and I knew that it would be a minimum of two years, possibly three till I got promoted to E8 promotions in the guard are really weird and mm -hmm. really hard because you just compete with open slots in your state. So it's not like the reserves and active duty where you're competing with slots all over the place. It's yeah. literally just available slots in our state. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and for a female medic, I mean, hell getting E7 was hard enough. So, yeah. um, and I knew if I did that, I was like, well, 
then I'd probably stay in another three years because I was at 20 years of service. I was just shy of 10 years active service. And so I was like, well, then I'm going to stay another three years, five years. Well, then I'm going to be only five years away to active retirement. So then I'll probably just stick it out. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'd be like 48 by the time I get <laughs> out. You know, and that's the problem is, and you see that in the guard. And that's actually what's frustrating about the guard is there are those people that never leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why the rest of us can't get promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do, you have you know, these people that have been E8s and E9s for 10, 15 years, and yeah, they're no kidding, they're going to stay there till they're forced out. So that's why promotions um, at the senior and CO level just get really, really difficult in the guards. What's interesting too is um, like you could have a position within your unit that needs to be filled that typically is hold, held by a certain rank but they may not be able to promote somebody to hold that position. So they'll just move somebody in that position that can do the job, but you don't get the pay. And that's very typical in the guard, which is very frustrating for a lot of people. It's like Mm -hmm. staying in college because you still want to party years after you should have graduated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Except in this case, you're not, you're not benefiting (laughs) really in any way. It's more work and less booze. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So I moved out to North Carolina. So I, I did, I made the ultimate decision. I was like, it's, it's time to hang it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I hit 20 years. Um, yeah, that's a fucking lot that, that, yeah. So I was like, shit, you know, honestly, the main reason, cause I almost got out at like 11, actually from about between year eight and 11, I kept just doing a one year extension. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm getting, I'm getting out next year for sure. Next, okay. One more year <laughs> next year. Okay, I'll do one more year. Yeah, um, and it went up to twenty. <laughs> and then at year eleven, um, they started offering these bonuses, and I had never gotten a bonus before, mm-hmm. and they were pretty sweet bonuses. Um, and student loans paid off. Oh, that's nice. And like yeah. up to twenty thousand dollars of your student loans. And I was like, oh man, but it was going to be another six years. So I was like, well, then that'll put me at seventeen. So obviously, I'm going to do 20. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so that's, that's how that happened. Um, but you know, a big kicker too was one, I did enjoy it, but also, um, a big reason I stayed in was for healthcare, mm-hmm. like yeah. guaranteed healthcare yeah. when I retired. And yeah. probably the best I can imagine. Yeah. It, it's really good healthcare. Uh, Steve Bonefeld also was in my wedding. We served together. Um, he's still in the national guard because of healthcare he has three kids and he runs his own business and he's like if i didn't get healthcare through the guard i'd be in debt just from yeah just from our bills for medical Mm -hmm. and so like um correct me if i'm wrong with this too but even if you retire in the guard you get lifetime healthcare i believe yeah really so that's why i stuck the 20 just stuck out the 20 that's nice so steve is staying in the guard right now and sticking out his 20 years in the guard because he wants to have lifetime health care. So you get bonuses, great health care. You want a new car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just sign here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because like I so I don't get a retirement check until I'm, I think, 58 because I don't have 20 years of active federal service. Mm-hmm. So I have 20 years total, almost 10 years active. So I won't see a retirement check till I'm 58. But what I do get is literally 
every other benefit that's that great. I would get from an active federal service. So just one less thing yeah, to pay for. So yeah, my and so again, the healthcare is huge having mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's that right there, you know, probably made it worth it. So um when you I guess went to North Carolina, um I think you were telling me a little bit, but what did you get into before you then got up and left North Carolina to move back to Washington? Yeah. So so I moved out to North Carolina um literally right like the week I came off of orders. And so I got a job at UNC as the administrative director of cardiac and vascular surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole reason I moved out there. Um, I had never been to North Carolina. Um, so it's pretty. I, so I had gone out there actually. Um, well, I had a TDY scheduled out there um, through counter drug. I had a, a TDY um, out in Wilmington, in fact, and it was some like narcotics training course or Mm -hmm. something. And so I was headed out to Wilmington. That was in July of 2014. But at that time, I knew I was coming off of order. So I had been looking for a real job Yeah, and wasn't getting anything. I mean, for like seven, eight months in the Seattle, Tacoma area, I mean, nothing. And I was applying for a bunch of jobs. And of course, you're very naive. I realize how naive service members are too coming out of the service. I'm like, I'm just going to go get this job. And cause they're going to love me that I served in the military. Yeah. Nobody cares. So, um, so I wasn't getting anything. And then I randomly started looking in the Raleigh area. I don't know why. I think I saw a news article that was like Raleigh Durham's a really great place to live right now. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. That sounds cool. And, um, I had a phone interview, um, with a veteran organization out there actually. Um, but the pay wouldn't have made it worth it for me to move across the country. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to need to make minimum what I'm making as an E7, um, to move across the country. And I mean, when we're talking minimum, um, cause also when service members get out, they don't realize taxes. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called taxes that are taken out of your paycheck yeah. that aren't when you're in. Oh, so you don't have that yeah. <laughs> in the military then. You're not paying taxes. You're not paying taxes in the military then. You do No. I mean you well, do. do yeah. But you don't see it. Like it's it's very different. Like oh, you okay. Yeah. 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 So that's one thing I didn't know. Yeah. So and then of course healthcare costs. I mean, just all yeah. these things, you know, that yeah. um that you just don't realize. So um, I had applied for this job at UNC and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Literally thought nothing of it. Mm -hmm. The lady calls and we have a phone interview and she's like, do you maybe happen to have any plans to be in North Carolina soon? And I was like, oddly enough, I'm going to be out there in two weeks because I had that TDY scheduled. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, so we we're setting up an interview. I was like, oh, this is crazy. Okay. Again, thought really nothing of it. Mm-hmm. I was just exploring. So, um, so I go out there for this, uh, narcotics course and then ended up staying a whole extra week and just explored the Raleigh Durham area. Um, my interview was almost two and a half days long. So, 
so yeah, now this is my very first interview coming out of the military, zero preparation, zero idea of what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And um, interviewed with like 12 different people because it was a lot of the surgeons, a lot of the nursing staff, administrative staff. Um, God, that's it hectic. Was, yeah. Yeah. I, well, and then I was like, this is how interviews are like, holy crap. That's an intense crazy. interview right there. <laughs> so, um, it was two, you know, like two kind of half days. And then the third day ended up being, it wasn't mandatory, but she's like, oh, there's this, you know, one of the surgeons was giving a talk or whatever. So she's like, you know, if, if you're still around and you want to come to that, it's like seven tomorrow morning. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> um, so yeah, long story short, I get offered the job while I was still out there unofficially because it has still had to go through, through HR. Yeah. But she, you know, she's like, I know you'll have a lot of logistics to work out because this was now July. Um, and I started the job the first week of October. Wow. So yeah, so I came back home and was like, uh, so I guess I moved to North Carolina, everyone. Bye. Put my house on the market and packed up mm -hmm. and yeah, headed out there. So um yeah, it was it was all just I had no idea what I was doing. And the whole time I'm like, what the hell am I doing? This yeah. is so stupid. Um, but you know, I thought, well, it was kind of one of those opportunities that it's like, man, you kind of don't want to let it slip by. Mm -hmm. Um, and the pay was well worth, you know, the cross country move. Um, you know, it was probably, you know, well over 20,000 more than I was making as an E7. Oh, nice. So, wow. Yeah. So, um, it, I was like, okay, this is, this is worth it. We can do this. Mm -hmm. So, and then it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think that's a funny thing. Like that's a whole other story. <laughs> I think it's totally worth people that uh, you know, like for myself, I packed everything in my car, moved out to North Carolina, um, and it's like I feel like some things you got to challenge yourself and just be like, I'm going to do it, and if it works out, it does. If it doesn't, it's a learning experience, and I figure out where I go from there. But totally. you live once, and, and it's kind of like you got to try it all. You got to try it. And I would have regretted it if I didn't try it. Like yep. if I would have been offered the job and then I'm like, no, you know, I, it would have always been in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was out there for just under five years though. And, um, and I said, I'd give it a good five years. Um, the job didn't work out other things. You know, I kind of went a whole other different direction, yeah. decided I didn't even want to work in healthcare and um stayed out there for close to five years made some amazing friends mm -hmm. amazing contacts got you know really involved in another veteran organization out there so which one is that uh bunker labs okay what mm -hmm. uh what do they do out here because i'm i don't think i've heard a little bit about them but i don't know too much about bunker yeah. labs so they are a national organization that helps veterans and military spouses start and grow businesses. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Mm -hmm. So they have chapters. Um, gosh, they, I think they're, they're pushing 40 chapters now mm -hmm. um, across the U.S. Um, Damn. They've been around, see, they celebrated 
six years this year um because we were no five years i'm sorry because we were all supposed to be in chicago this mm -hmm. summer for the five-year anniversary um thanks china for <laughs> that not happening thanks so. for the fucking virus <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah is china listening can i say that i don't know so uh <laughs> i just did everyone's gonna hate me <laughs> um but yeah, so I I got involved with them when they started out there, when that chapter started, and because um, I had kind of some entrepreneurial aspirations, and then um, I became one of their city leaders mm -hmm. in 2018, and then when I moved back home to Washington, um, two of the city leaders for the Seattle chapter were moving on, so I became one of the city leaders for the Seattle chapter. Gotcha. So, so are you still doing that now? So... Not so much this year, um, yeah. you know, with COVID. So much, everything yeah. has transitioned online because we would do monthly networking events called Bunker Brews. And so they would be business um, networking events. And then we would always have a speaker um, or like a panel discussion around some type of, um, you know, business idea or startup idea or entrepreneurial, you know, speaker or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's really um, cool, though, because you don't hear much about organizations that are helping military spouses and women involved in that mm -hmm. community. So that's really cool to hear about. Yeah, they're yeah. In fact, gosh, I mean, so many even of the city leaders are are military spouses. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a fantastic organization. Mm -hmm. um, and I I mean, I have met just some of the most incredible people doing really cool things. And that's what I love about the organization is it really highlights a lot of the good things yeah. that veterans are doing. Um, and it's not a lot of this, you know, the sad veteran commercial where we're all homeless mm -hmm. and we, we need help mm -hmm. and we're addicted to drugs. And, oh, you know, shit. it's like, no, we're, we're all pretty normal people doing really cool things. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> let's uh, highlight those stories. I was just telling, uh, I think my wife, uh, especially, but I, I don't know if I'd mention it to you, Bo, as well, but I, I was going through a, a veteran organization's website and they were highlighting a bunch of other veteran organizations, which I think is fantastic. Like as many outlets out there as possible, that's great. But like every single one of them was like, help repair a veteran's life, help, with wow. PTSD help with this. And it's like every single one of them just seemed like they were highlighting that all veterans are broken. And it's, it's like, like, that's it's like this not pity, this pity plug almost. That's not the case. Like, yeah, yes. Veterans probably at, at a, as a majority are looking for something because their experience has just been vastly different than the civilian population. And that's why I'm, I'm so glad about our mission and like the path we're going down because it's much more about, you know, sharing your like, your guys' real life stories and then also highlighting the organizations that do provide purpose, like the ones you've highlighted are, mm -hmm. already. Um, but we've kind of come to this conclusion about something else too, is like, I feel like every veteran organization or every opportunity um, for veterans to come back into society and into the civilian population has been like, how can we help the veteran be prepared to reacclimate mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around? It's like, how can we help these businesses be ready to have veterans in their workforce? Yeah, it should be the other way yeah. around. And like, that's such an insane thought that I, 
hopefully maybe somebody else has come to this conclusion too, but I'm just surprised that there's not more organizations out there doing this. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And hearing your story about trying to look for, you know, a job and thinking as a veteran, Oh, people are going to accept me, look at my military experience and say, Oh, perfect. This, you know, this person's qualified. It's like, no, that doesn't happen. And it's not the fact that you're not qualified. It's the fact that these businesses just don't know how to translate their job opening to a veteran. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and yes, sure. Veterans should be able to figure out or, you know, get assistance in, in trying to figure out how to translate their military experience into the civilian world. But at the same time, like businesses need to be more able and apt yeah. to seeking out veterans and mm-hmm. like help them grow in their leadership and, and development and, you know, just overall help the organization. Um, and that's just not happening. It's, it's frustrating. And so I'm glad you're highlighting these ones that you, you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and I think what's frustrating too is, um, you know, I mean, my transition has, I'm going on six years, but I'm now seeing a lot of my peers that are getting out, you know, they've hit like kind of that 25 year mark. So I've yeah. had a lot of friends um, leave this year and are getting ready to leave. And I'm still not seeing that, at least for the army, that they're preparing people like they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. there, there are so many programs out there but there, there still is just, there's a disconnect somewhere too. And another unfortunate thing is unless you're an officer um, or maybe a senior NCO, you know, maybe an E9, um, people still, a lot of employers, you know, still think, oh, so you were enlisted, like you don't have a degree or, you know, this. And I'm like, this is mind blowing to me. They're like, you, know, you just that, killed people. And that was it. That's kind of, I imagine how they look at it. Yeah. And the officers, you know, there's, there's all these circles of getting them connected with jobs and, and mm-hmm. things like yep. this. And, and you don't see that on the enlisted side. I can't, uh, I'm sure you've seen it too, but honestly, like I think every officer that I've served with in a capacity to where like I've kept up with them or something, you know, they were my, um, you know, CO or they're my platoon leader or something like that. Every single one of them that I've gotten out are now in some sort of executive level role. Like I think every single one of them, there's not one of them that are sitting out there looking for a job. And it, it's not to say that, you know, yes, they have the education and yes, they probably do understand maybe a little bit more of how to network because they did go to college and, Mm -hmm. and all these different things, but absolutely. They just have a, a substantial leg up in the job market because when somebody looks at a resume and they see general officer, like honestly, the rest of it doesn't really matter. I feel mm-hmm. like to them, mm-hmm. like, yes, the qualifications are there and stuff, but like some of these officers that I know what their degree was are now holding a position that's completely different than their degree. It's just because they were an officer that they're yeah. an executive in whatever yeah. role they're in now. Yeah. And they got some online degree, like an organizational leadership or something yeah. that, you know, that's, anyone that's can pretty get, sad because so. I look at the military no, no as offense to anyone that has that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's pretty sad overall because I look at, you know, no matter what position you are in the military, you've learned a lot of aspects of leadership and respect and integrity and, and team building. So if I look at it as owning a company with Dan, and I look at who we want to eventually employ one day. 
I look at those are major contributing factors that we would want in individuals. You know, it's not so much about what you have on paper, how much college education, because I've known a lot of people that not everybody, but a lot of people that go through all these years of education, but they don't know how to have people skills. They don't know how to be a leader. They don't know how to mm-hmm. come up mm-hmm. with strategic business ideas that are going to help grow the business and help connect people on a more team building experience. Mm-hmm. So by already having that prior instilled into you, that's much more important because the rest is coachable. The rest is mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, we're going to take a little bit extra time with you because maybe you just got out and you've this is like your first full-time civilian job. But I'd much rather bank on your skills and leadership and team role playing rather than, you know, just what's on your paper. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm sure there's numbers out there. I don't know what they are, but um, I would imagine veteran owned businesses hire more veterans than any other type of business oh, totally. because they understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish more people, you know, in the business world would understand that. And going back to what we were just saying, didn't just look at the resume and see, Oh, this person was an officer. They're, mm-hmm. you know, much more, prepared or advanced for a role because you'll see people who got out as an o2 officer you know what i mean like basically did nothing you know yeah. in the military like mm-hmm. didn't advance much in their four-year short career but they're they're holding executive jobs and it's like that's crazy whereas you'll see senior ncos who've been in 20 years and they're looking for a job and you know either the network's not there or they get turned away because they are looking for jobs that are similar to their pay scale and responsibilities and scope and they just look at them and like well you know you weren't an officer so i don't know what to you know do for you yeah yeah i think there's got to be more of a a switch in that dynamic um you hear about these miracle stories i mean fuck watch the pursuit of happiness you you see things all the time and i know it's a movie but it's also i've seen companies that have risked all and been like you know what this guy doesn't have an education, but he's coachable. I like, you know, his background. And then all of a sudden they're like a few years later leading the company. Mm-hmm. There's kind of miracle mm-hmm. stories. And I feel like there's a lot of that that could be being made with, you know, post-military men and women that yeah. are looking for civilian so, transitions. Yeah. The last job that I had um, when I left Raleigh, <clears throat> I was working for a gentleman. I was working for a global uh they're like at a on not online, but um a certification company mm-hmm. and for professional cert- certific certifications. And um when I applied, so he actually hired me on the spot. And he also a lot of it was because uh he saw my military service and he flat out said that. And I had been struggling finding a job. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's like, why, why are you having such a hard time? You know, I mean, your resume is great. And I was like, I, I don't know. And so he hired me on the spot for two things, my military service. And then part of the application process was also, um, there's this thing called the culture index. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of really big companies will use this. And, um, The one he has applicants do, it's kind of a basic one where there's, there's like 30 or 40 words and you just select the words that describe you. Okay. And so in a way, a personality test, but, but much deeper than just like a regular personality test. 
And so I went through it the first time and I'm like, this is unusual because I've never seen that, you know, going through the application process. And mm -hmm. so I sat there after I went through it the first time and I thought, this is here for a reason. So let's just look at this again. And some of these words, I'm like, I don't even know what this word means. Yeah. So I had to, I like, I had to look them up. I was like, oh yeah, that describes me. Sounds good. Um, but so I was really honest in it. And I actually, I went through it three times to really make sure I was selecting the right words that I thought described me. And um, so the position I was hiring, um, got hired into was for his executive assistant. And I had never been an executive assistant and I didn't ever want to be an executive assistant. You know, I was just the administrative director at a health, a major healthcare yeah. organization. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be an executive assistant. Yeah. Um, but the pay was pretty good. I needed a job. And so I was like, ah, whatever. And so through that culture index, through the results of that actually got me the interview. Mm -hmm. um, and he hired me on the spot for that and my military service. So it was so That's weird cool. because it was such the opposite of what I had been experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and him telling me how much he valued that. And yeah, it kind of goes back to what you're saying is like, he knew I had never been an executive assistant. I mean, mm -hmm. just because I've had, you know, some really good jobs doesn't mean I'm going to make a good executive assistant for someone. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, he, you know, he took the, the chance on me. And um, so, but yeah, through that experience, and it was so interesting, this, this whole culture index test. And that's how, I mean, everyone that was hired on, he, he did that with. And what I loved about him was he, he really was all about putting the right people in the right seats. Mm -hmm. And that was something I really learned about working with him is like, you need the right people, yep. you know, you can train them to do whatever you need to do at your job, you mm -hmm. know, but if you aren't hiring the right people that you need and that fit your culture, then mm -hmm. it's not going to work for the team. Yeah, that, that's cool. There needs to be more of that. Yeah. If you um, don't have the right personality mentality for the position, you shouldn't hold the position. No, I agree. And yeah. Like that's, yeah, I wish every job would do that. Yep. Our company does a pretty good job. Uh, company I work for outside of this, um, does a pretty mm -hmm. good job of trying to identify that. But, um, I, I definitely think doing something like that would be incredible. And I might actually yeah. present that to it's, them because, um, it'd be really, really cool. interesting. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's like, I feel like that's, that's a leader right there. You know, someone that knows yeah, that, that, that it, most people, I, I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. I think most people are trainable as long as you don't have any bad habits from past experiences. Right. Most people can be trained. They're coachable. As long as they're in the right setting and as long as they have the right management that is more like mm -hmm. a friend and a, a team leader and as a company builder rather than, you know, coming at them as like, I'm your boss, respect me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that companies can really change the hiring process by just having that mindset. And I think yeah. more people are finding out nowadays that besides, you know, being in law or being a doctor, there's a lot of fields now that education is not really on the forefront as it used to be. There's a lot of mm -hmm. people that are just like hungry go-getters. They're like, oh, fuck, I'll figure it out and mm -hmm. become entrepreneurs and then can start up businesses or companies are like, hey, you know what? I like your personality. I trust you. Come on board. We'll train you and, and do everything for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, 
And I would agree like this, this culture index thing is, you know, it, it has saved money. It has saved so much money for companies too, because they are hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny too, cause when I first took it and so you get the, you get like your survey traits, um, and there's a graph and then it kind of pinpoints, it explains some of the stuff. Um, and it explains you, I mean, when I read my results, I was like, Oh my God, Yeah, you <laughs> totally know me. Like mm-hmm. it was spot on. And it was funny because the next day, the day after I started, he had hired another gal, young gal to do like all of the social media. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he was looking for a very specific person for his executive assistant. And he wanted a very specific type of person to be the social media manager. And sure enough, she and I were complete opposites. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, and he even called it. So the first, I want to say one or two days. So he had put me in this office and it was, it was a big space. And I was like, this is kind of a lot. I don't think I need all this. And he was going to put her in there with me. And my second day there, he's like, I don't think I want to do that to you. I'm going to give you your own office. And it was just a, you know, a small little space. He goes, you might quit if you were stuck in an office with her all day. And mm-hmm. he's like, and she's great. She's going to be great as our social media manager. You would hate me for it. And it's so funny because, um, we, we are, we, I mean, we were complete opposite. She was chatty cat. Like, I don't, I don't need, I don't do small talk. I don't just want to, you know, BS about my weekend all morning long over coffee. Like, did you try the new Starbucks flavor? (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) like I have my moments, I'm not saying I'm not social, but you know, but that was all her. And and it's so funny how spot on it was. And, um, and I mean, and she and I got along fine, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, like we wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have been able to be in an office with her. That's all day the long. perfect person for social media right there. Yeah. Yeah. And Is it yeah, chatty and Kathy? She, was, she was perfect for it. And I yep. was like, yeah, I would hate that job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was really funny just how spot on they were. I want to swerve the conversation a little uh most importantly lastly i want to i want to touch on your business um and i know you talk a lot about it and from the little bit that i've gotten to know you i know you're very humble but i'd love to hear more details um on your company what helps start that idea and i know that i may be wrong but i believe you start it once you move back to washington from north carolina correct no i started oh, really? it in north carolina nice okay mm-hmm. And it's, it's yeah. called Canine Salute. So what kind of inspired, obviously, that name? What inspired you to work with um, canines and, and dogs alike to help out with people as well? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it started completely by accident, which I think a lot of businesses do. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was leaving the military, I went through the entrepreneurship track uh, that they offer through ACAP, Army Career something trans I don't know I don't even remember what it's called whatever helps you transition out Mm -hmm. of the military (laughs) that um so they have different tracks you can take where if you you need help writing a resume or you're gonna go back to school or whatever it is well they started offering um an entrepreneurship track for people so I did that because 
the year before I got out, I kind of had a little business idea that I wanted to do for an indoor dog park and beer garden. Who doesn't love dogs and beer? That is pretty cool. (laughs) Right? I know. Right? I still have the business plan. I still have the business plan for it. Um, So, and now it's a thing. Like I see them popping up all over the place too. I'm like, I thought of that. I thought of that years ago. That was my idea. We got to make it happen. Um, (laughs) So, so I kind of still was hanging on to that idea. Even when I moved out to North Carolina for the job at UNC, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this someday. I, I just feel it in my bones. And um, so the job in North Carolina only lasted just under a year. Mm-hmm. So I was laid off. Um, the department went, they were undergoing, um, well, they had some outside consultants that were, you know, consulting and making things improving processes um yeah so part of that was um eliminating my position apparently that's fast too Um, to move your life across the country (laughs) and then in under a year yeah so 10 months after i moved out there and five weeks after i closed on a house oh Oh, my goodness jeez yeah yeah i was like you didn't know this five weeks ago Mm, pretty sure you probably did yeah so that happened um but i was like i'll be fine i'll i mean look how easy i got this job Mm -hmm. like i'll probably have a job into i'll take a few weeks off you know i'm getting a 90 day severance like ah, i'm good yeah and uh no that was in fact not the case so i was applying for jobs like crazy i wasn't getting callbacks you know i was a couple phone interviews here and there mm-hmm. um and I had, then after a few months i was like oh so shit's getting real like i'm not gonna have a paycheck very soon um and uh long story short like i mean things things got pretty bad for a while so but during that time i was like well let's explore this dog park thing so that's how I found Bunker Labs. Um, they weren't quite Bunker Labs when I found them. Uh, they were just standing that chapter up. And I went to an event in Durham called Startup Veterans. Mm-hmm. I literally Googled veteran entrepreneurs in Raleigh or something stupid like that. Yeah. And um, I came up across this event that was like 10 minutes away from my house at one of those co-working spaces. It was called Startup Veterans. And that was the turning point that I needed. I mean, that one night, I think, shifted my entire path. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I met some really cool people. I met, you know, just a bunch of veterans. I met local business people, um, angel investors, just all the people in the research triangle area Mm -hmm. that you need to start meeting if you want to start a business. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be and we're going to be okay. And um, so I was still, I want to say that was like October or something of 2015. So just a few months after I was laid off and um, in kind of by the end of that year, I started kind of second guessing if I wanted to do a brick and mortar type of a business. Mm -hmm. 
because I also then at that point was like, do I want to stay in North Carolina? Um, you know, I'm not stuck here for anything. And do I want to stay here? Do I want to move back home? You know, having a brick and mortar type business is a much bigger commitment yeah. than, you know, operating something online. Totally. So I was still, you know, I completed the business plan. I was even looking at properties and stuff out there. And then in January of 2016, um, there were eight police canines killed in the line of duty just in January. No kidding. And wow. um, there were, I think by the end of that year, I want to say there were 34. On average, there's wow. about 30, give or take, that are killed each year. So I'm a huge dog lover. Uh, for years, I have, I follow, I probably follow more like dog pages on Instagram and Facebook than you know, I follow people. That's better than people. So, yeah. <laughs> and nobody cares so, about cats. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, so I just, I get a lot of this stuff kind of in my social media news feeds when, you know, dogs are killed, things like that. It's just something I have, I have followed for years, mm -hmm. um, even well before I got out of the military. And I just, I love working dogs. I got to kind of work alongside a, a few of them when I was with counter drug, um, when we would do like the marijuana eradication, because we usually would have a dog that would go in, especially, you know, if there was someone still in the grow. So get to see the dog in action and just, I just always loved it. Yeah. So, um, I remember seeing the first dog killed, um, canine Jojo. He was out of San Bernardino and then it was like a few days later, another dog. And then a few days later, another dog. And I was like, Jeez. what the hell? This is crazy. It was crazy. And um, so I remember on um, January 19th, specifically the night that I literally got the idea, um, there was a dog in Texas, canine ogre, uh, that was killed. And I remember, you know, I remember seeing it online and I was like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, by that time, he was like, the fifth or sixth dog that month. The month wasn't even over. Mm -hmm. And then I was reading this dog magazine called Dogster Magazine. And I was looking at all these pet products and dog toys and dog treats and dog outfits. And I was like, what the hell? Like how, like I just, I remember looking at all those products thinking, how are these companies successful? Like what yeah. is, there's nothing special or different or they're, they're all the same. And, um, so I, when I saw that ogre was killed, there was just something that kind of popped up in my head of, I really want to do something that I can help these dogs somehow. And then, but in a way I was still thinking the dog park, I was like, oh, we could have fundraisers or mm -hmm. do stuff for police dogs or military dogs, things like that. And then, um, I remember seeing some dog treats and just thinking, wait a minute dog treats. Okay. I could tell a story of a dog. We could sell the dog treats. Okay. This is it. And like, kind of once those like little ideas started happening, mm -hmm. then it's just like, everything starts entering your mind. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, this is it. That's cool. We're selling dog treats. And then I was like, I don't, I don't know how to make dog treats. <laughs> how do we, how do we do this now? <laughs> yeah. So once kind of the excitement leaves you, and reality sets in of, okay, that's a cool idea, but how do you really do that? Um, so again, Google, 
how do you start a dog treat business? <laughs> so, and it's amazing what you can find. Um, so yeah, it just, it really kind of snowballed from there. And the reason I ended up coming up with the name canine salute is because whenever I would see the dogs killed, like if there was a, a video on YouTube, you know, of the funeral or something like that, mm-hmm. I kept, I would always see like a, a dog salute or a final salute or yeah. something like salute was just always in my head. Um, so that's why I ended up going with canine salute. And then, yeah, so the, the whole premise is, so on the back of every bag of treats, there's a tribute to a canine that's been killed in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. Um, canine ogre happens to be one of the dogs. Um, and he was the dog that was killed the yeah. night I got the idea. Um, and so, yeah. And then I give a portion of the proceeds back to help provide uh, protective vests or medical equipment to working dogs. Um, so when I was, when I first started the business in North Carolina, the other thing I'm really passionate about is veterans that are working in agriculture, just the agriculture industry in general and American farmers. And, um, so I wanted to try to source a lot of my ingredients from veteran owned farms. And, uh, there's just, there's quite a few out there actually. Um, and I ended up finding a guy again on Google. (laughs) So I was like veteran farmer, North Carolina. Oh, here we go. So, um, found this guy that had a farm and, uh, he was a Marine and got in touch with him, went out to visit him at his farm and told him what I was doing. And at first I could, he seemed a little standoffish. Like I could tell through his email. I was like, this guy doesn't seem very friendly. Um, and then once we got out there, yeah, it was, it was fine. We're, we're great friends still. Um, but, and actually what he does now, he doesn't do so much his own farming, but he has a program, um, at Fort Bragg and he helps, uh, veterans get into agriculture. So he does that down there and through NC state. Mm -hmm. Um, but so that's what I was doing when I started as I was, you know, kind of sourcing my ingredients from a couple veterans, figuring really kind of just figuring stuff out. Yeah. And so once I started kind of getting the process rolling, started working on a business plan. Um, and I ended up entering a, a business contest down there in North Carolina and um, won a business loan. So I entered this contest. I literally hand carried my packet to the, the company that was holding the contest I got it turned in at like 4.30. The contest ended at five o'clock that Friday <laughs> because I had, <laughs> I don't normally procrastinate like that, but I had just seen the contest that week. I think I saw it on a Monday. It had been open for months and I had, you know, I hadn't seen it. And um, I saw it on a Monday and I thought there's no way I can get everything in because you had to have a, the bulk of your business plan, a lot of the, the finances, like a three-year financial projection. I was like, mm not going to happen. And, uh, went to bed, couldn't sleep that night. And I was like, you know what? F it. No, we're going to at least try. So got everything done, turned in. And that next week they called me. I was one of three finalists, uh, that were selected. And I was Mm -hmm. like, did anyone else apply or (laughs) really? 
And um, so the winner was selected through a week of online public voting. So it was the public that ended up uh, selecting the winner. Um, ABC 11 came out to my house and did a, a little story. Oh, wow. Um, oddly enough, though, after that aired, because it was on like the Wednesday of the week of voting, the one of the other businesses, like they shot up, like they started getting way more votes than I did. After my story aired, I was like, well, that really backfired. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. Yeah, I was like, man, that sucks. Um, but man, I talk about rallying the troops. I mean, people from across the country, because you could vote, I think for that one, it was like every hour. It mm -hmm. wasn't even like once a day. You could vote every single hour. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. And um, so it was just going on all week. And I ended up winning by nine votes at the Whoa. very last minute. I mean, me and this crazy. other business, it was like we all had a team of people just voting and voting <laughs> on phones and computers. And I kept hitting refresh and like he'd be ahead and then I'd be ahead. And at five o'clock, I mean, that thing literally shut off mm -hmm. and I did like a final refresh and I had them by nine votes. That's exciting. Holy crap. So that happened before I had even sold a single bag of dog treats. Wow. Interesting. I didn't even have products. Yeah. I literally just had a business plan. Um, so, so that happened. Uh, got some money and I was like, well, shit. I uh, guess I better figure out how to make some dog treats here. Um, so, so that was 2016, you know, did a trade show, things like that really was just kind of figuring stuff out along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and then 2017, you know, really started putting that money into some equipment. Um, I kind of had a grand idea that I was going to have my own manufacturing facility and this is going to hire people and we were going to, it was going to be great. No, you outsource, yeah. outsource, outsource, outsource. <laughs> so, um, in 2018, um, I entered another contest and ended up winning. They picked, that was a nationwide contest and they picked two winners from each state. Um, so myself and there was a business up in Wake Forest that ended up winning out of North Carolina and um, we won. So there were a hundred of us across the country okay. that won the all American or the American small business champion. Um, that one was through Sam and Source, uh, score and Sam's club. And they flew us out to Reno for like three days mm -hmm. and like all the winners, we all flew out there. We had three days of, networking, meeting the other winners, business classes, you know, just all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of free press, you know, national press. So that was good. And then later that year, I entered the, um, the Bob Evans Farms Heroes to CEOs contest. Mm -hmm. I had applied for that one the year prior, um, didn't win, obviously. And then I went ahead and applied again, thought, eh, whatever, throw my hat in there again and um ended up being selected for that one so that was uh they select three veterans for that um as the winners and that one was i think there were if i recall 120 130 applicants okay for that one so um and then so that one the prize was a twenty-five thousand dollar business grant 
and mentoring from Damon John from Shark Tank. That's awesome. Wow. So are the the dog treats, where are those, I guess, made out of? And are they obviously like super healthy for dogs? Is there kind of like a, a benefit to ordering, you know, your dog treats as opposed to, you know, like Blue Diamond or anybody else for that matter? Yeah. Oh, Blue Diamond. Come on. I know. Um, so- <laughs> I hate to compare it. <laughs> I'm a rookie in this. Oh, I don't know many uh, <laughs> dog treat companies. Most people I think that are dog owners probably know more than I do when it comes to that. Yeah. So so I will say this. So when I first started, because you know I was making them in such small batches. So one of the cool things that I was doing that was kind of a, a higher quality ingredient, if you will, is I was using a organic sprouted grain mm-hmm. that I was actually getting from a farm just outside of Chapel Hill. Um, and it was a, it was a really cool farm, even just the history of it. Um, there was like, a there was a civil war battle right there at the farm, Yeah, just a, a lot of, you know, really cool history. And so, you know, a lot of dogs or people think that their dogs are grain free or, you know, they follow all these trends that are in the human food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally that's not the case. And so, but the, the thing about the sprouted grain is, so it's like people that have a sensitivity, not necessarily a full blown allergy, but are sensitive, um, to grains, they can tolerate the sprouted grain. Um, cause it's actually still live. Okay. And so your body processes it differently. It's able to digest it. Um, and so I was using that at first. So that was kind of a cool selling point for my products. And, you know, and I've had people that were like, oh, and my dogs, yeah, he can only have grain-free treats. I'm like, okay, here, try this. Your dog's gluten-free. Yeah. Your dog's not a vegan. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) that's a thing though now too. Um, And, but now that I have an outside manufacturer and because I'm still somewhat small, they won't let me ship the some of the ingredients I want to use to store because they're a certified organic company. Mm-hmm. And so all the paperwork and stuff that has to go through when they get inspected, um, because I'm, you know, one of the smaller guys, it's just not worth it to them. Gotcha. Um, so I had to, I had to switch that up. Um, and I'm, we're doing a, a chickpea flour. So garbanzo beans, which is still good. Um, and then I just launched a new product in December. Um, so I've got freeze dried lamb liver. So I've, right. I've got three treats, three flavors, um, that I started with Okay. and you know, they're kind of evolving. I mean, they were the first original treats that I came up with trying to be unique and offer something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was using coconut oil, things like that, uh, turmeric, a lot of, you know, um, seeds and stuff that are good. And then, but I realized I was, I was making it too complicated at the beginning, Mm -hmm. trying to be so different. And, you know, you don't have the money at the beginning to try to be so different and unique. Like you just need to get products out there. You need to start selling something, you know, still sell a good product. Um, but it's hard to be so unique on something if you're not making it yourself. Right. So, um, the treats are now made. I have a a manufacturer um, just outside of Chicago. Nice. So it's yeah. all USA sourced. Oh, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I would. Yeah, never do anything overseas. Even my bags um, 
come from Wisconsin. Nice. So I could get bags much cheaper Mm -hmm. if I got them from China or somewhere in Europe. Um, So my bags cost a little bit more, but they come from a company in Wisconsin. So great. Okay. Yeah. Everything in America. That's cool. So is it still uh, three flavors uh, or do you have more that are kind of coming up? Yeah. So I've got the three that I started with that have, you know, they've changed a little bit, um, just kind of some of the formula and then the lamb liver that just launched in December Mm -hmm. and that, um, the tribute on the lamb liver, um, this one's really cool. This was, it's kind of been in the works for a couple of years. So there was a dog in St. Clair Shores, Michigan that was killed canine acts and he was killed in uh, November of 2018. And I contacted the handler not long after I normally, I don't like contact them right away. So all the dogs that I um, have tributes to are all approved by the handler. Okay. And they provide the photo that they want to use on the bag. And then there's a little like three sentence tribute to the dog. And that comes directly from the handler. That's not me. Like just making whatever up on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the handler knows the, the department knows. And, um, so this dog canine acts, I remember when he was killed a few weeks after that, um, the suspect that was shot and killed in that, um, situation, of course, there's people that are like, Oh, it wasn't, he shouldn't have been shot. Okay. (laughs) When you're running from the police, when you're a criminal and stuff happens. Yep. So, but there was a guy selling t-shirts in support of the suspect and the t-shirt said fuck that dog oh wow. like, hmm. oh hell no <laughs> you're like watch so, what i'm gonna do <laughs> yeah i don't it it just it infuriated me and so it was about a month after axe was killed i emailed the handler and introduced myself i was like this is what i do this is my company i'd love to honor axe you know if you want and we'll work out the details I've never had a handler say no that I've contacted. They're all like, yeah, this is amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Um, well, that was right at the tail end of 2018, early 2019. And I had just had to sell my house. Um, I was kind of mid transition staying with a friend. And that was the year I was like, do I stay in North Carolina? Do I move back to Washington? Yeah. And because things that year really were not going my way out there. There was, there was some big struggles. Mm-hmm. And so I ultimately made the decision to move back to Washington. Just, I needed a support, a bigger support system with family and friends that I yep. just really didn't have out there. So I kind of put the business on hold in early 2019. Cause I moved back in April of 2019 so I was still selling products, but like, if, you know, if people found me, it was a lot of repeat buyers. I wasn't actively marketing or mm-hmm. trying to do anything new. So that was kind of just put on hold, unfortunately. And I wasn't able to launch a new product to put acts on, which of course, then I'm, I feel horrible because I am telling this handler, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, I just can't do this right now. So after moving back to Washington and this last year, just getting the business, you know, back up and running um, and wanting to launch some new flavors, 
we got the freeze dried liver because I want to do a lot more just protein, like yeah. single ingredient or two ingredient protein treats. Um, so I got back in touch with him and he's like, you know what stuff happens? Yeah, let's do this. And so those just launched in early December. And what's really cool is, and it says this on Axe's tribute label. So Canine Axe was named after Matthew Axelson, who was a Navy SEAL, okay. um, killed in 2005. Um, and so Axe's handler, Tom, emailed me a couple days ago and asked if I would send some of Axe's treats to Matthew Axelson's parents. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. This is amazing. Because it says so it says that on Axe's label. Um, it says who he was named after. That's cool. So yeah. this Matthew Axelson on the label. Yeah. That's crazy so. coming full circle like that. Like to be connected not only to the dog handler, but then eventually connected to the family that like mm -hmm. lost their son and that was the reason the dog was named. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So so that stuff is really cool. And just, you know, the people that I've met. Um, you know, and these, these handlers are just overwhelmed sometimes that some random person that they don't know mm -hmm. recognizes that their dog was killed and wants to do some type of tribute or you yeah. know, whatever. And again, it's like, it's something small to me. It's, it's on a bag of dog treats, but that story is being told, you know, how many times, you know, it's just like mm -hmm. what we do with service members. You know, we tell their story of, you know, friends that we've lost or whatever and to me it's it's the same with these dogs absolutely so. that's cool mm -hmm. um before we wrap jessica is there anything that you want to kind of address or talk about with like future plans for the company you know whether it be i know you just released that new flavor that and that new uh package is there anything else that's kind of coming up that you're excited about um so i think right now it is just kind of developing some new flavors and I'm mm -hmm. not even really developing new flavors, just kind of adding, you know, adding things that, that consumers want. I mean, I've gotten really um, involved in the pet industry, which, you know, it's really fun and just seeing, seeing what people are doing, seeing what other companies are doing Yeah, and, you know, just trying to stay a little bit innovative and offer a really healthy product um, that also has a good social mission behind it. That's great. And, you know, there's, there's no other treats on the market, you know, doing anything like canine salute with mm -hmm. these tributes and things like that. Um, you know, one thing I am trying to do, so I'm in a, like a handful of retail stores. Um, retail is a man, that's a whole other, that's a whole other animal oh, to, yeah. to work through. Yep. But, um, you know, I'm in a, in a handful of small ones and, but we just had, here at JBLM, um, a Petco just opened mm. on base. It's the first Whoa. Petco on a military base. Interesting. J JBLM yeah. is Joint Base Lewis McCord in Tacoma, yes. Washington. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Formerly, yeah, for, formerly Fort Lewis. Yep. Um, so I was like, oh, uh, my treats would be perfect here. Are yeah. you kidding oh, me? Totally. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to figure out you know, if it's something that I go through Petco or if I actually go through AFES, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, how kind of that partnership works. I met two people from Petco in 20, 
2019, actually, I uh, received a scholarship to attend the Pet Sustainability Coalition in Boulder. Okay. Kind of a crunchy granola group of pet people that want to save the earth, which <laughs> yeah. I'm totally cool with. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and it, and that is something I've I've tried to do from day one is find ways to be sustainable, whether yep. it's through packaging, um, you know, packaging that can be recycled, you know, different things like that. And so went to this really cool conference and a lot of really big players in the pet industry were there. So I met two people from Petco, um, actually ran into them at the hotel bar. So had a couple beers with them. One was the director of nutrition, I mm-hmm. think, or did something in nutrition. So they were able to see my products and things. But again, you know, trying to get into a place like Petco as a, a smaller unknown company, I yeah. mean, there's, there's a certain way you have to go about it. You just yeah. don't send someone an email, you know? Um, but, you know, having those couple of connections and then of course, with this new flagship store actually on a military base, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about it. I feel yeah, like we that can would work, be great. Like we can work something out. I mean, how could they not? That would, I mean, come on. That right. Would be dumb. To not support that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> and so for people listening, if they wanted to support this cause, help canines, obviously buy organic treats for their dogs, they can purchase it all through your website, right? Yes. Is that the best way? Com. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. So we'll make sure and link all that info in the episode description. Um, I think it's a, a great idea. And thanks for sharing more. Yeah, about I, know, the I know we'll be a buyer for sure. I think Athena would be super excited my dog oh yeah oh yeah what kind of dog <laughs> she is a Nina. belgian malinois right oh, mixed with husky nice. yeah she is one second i'll grab her <laughs> we gotta get her so you can see her oh yeah <laughs> but i think that's just a really cool i remember you were telling me a little bit about the company but it's nice to actually dive deep and hear more <laughs> about yeah. what you're working on and everything like that too. Yeah, yeah. Come here. Come here. Oh boy. Come on. Come here. She's right here. She's all shy. Oh, oh get up there. Come here. Oh my goodness. I don't know if you can see oh. her. Oh yeah. So she's <laughs> basically the same dogs that were overseas. Yes. yes. Yep. Fine. Nice. <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> well thanks Jessica. I appreciate Beautiful. you hopping on Dan and I Again, can't thank you enough for joining in on this episode and talking more about your experience of being a combat medic and even your company with Canine Salute. And we'll make sure and link all the info below for people to go and help support your company in this great cause too. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Thank, thank you enough. Um, you know, obviously hearing everybody's stories is fantastic and each one is unique and um, hopefully more and more people will listen and support, especially support uh, veterpreneurs, mm-hmm. um, especially yeah. with ones such a great cause as yours. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, I I definitely appreciate it, and it was great meeting you, Bo, uh, a couple months ago. And yeah, had a lot of fun yeah, in Washington. It's just, <laughs> it all. It's really cool how everything kind of worked out. So absolutely. Well, thank you, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you. you, guys.